All right, good morning and welcome to Web3 Wednesdays, where we chat through some of the complex and nuanced topics in crypto and Web3 at large so that you can stay ahead of the curve. So today I'm joined by Steve Woody, who is both a partner at Sunflower Land, a fully decentralized community-built game on Polygon, as well as the founder of Undisputed Noobs, a Web3 gaming community. Sunflower Land turned heads earlier this year for its very forward approach to decentralization, with all game code contained in public repositories and contributors actively pushing content to impact game mechanics. Currently, Sunflower Land also outranks other certain mega enterprises like The Sandbox in terms of active users and has a remarkably passionate community base behind it. Steve's experience across the space in both building broad communities as well as engaging in DeFi and Web3 gaming at large make him an excellent resource for tapping into the public's perception around staking as it exists today within the crypto ecosystem. So we're keen to get his take on the matter. Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Daz. I appreciate you. Thank you for the uh, lovely introduction. All right. Well, let's dive right into it. So to level set for the viewers here, can you chat a bit about your work, you know, over on Sunflower Land as well as Undisputed Noobs and how that's kind of impacted your view of the current staking environment around crypto? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So quick backstory, just 30 seconds, you understand. I, I was in crypto back in 2001. Um, so a long time ago and the crypto that i was involved in wasn't the traditional bitcoin that we know now it was uh, based in military communications and so when i heard about bitcoin back in like 2014 i loved this disruptive technology and i was i felt familiar with it already so i started investing in bitcoin back in 2014 and then i didn't get into kind of DeFi until last year I got into DeFi and I, I, I did quite well. I bought some, some assets. I bought Luna cheap. I bought before, well, not cheap compared to now, but it was cheap back then um, before they all mooned. And I made some really decent money, but I, I always had in back of my head, I need to diversify. How do I diversify in crypto? Because no other asset class felt valuable to me, property or investments or anything else. So NFTs coming along was a perfect kind of progression. The whole Axie boom, and me looking to basically hedge my bets for a bear market that I thought was coming. And then I found this whole play to earn ethos and mentality. And I kind of fell in love with it because the most important value in my life is helping others. And if I can help others whilst helping myself and it's a win-win, it's like, it's just jackpot. And NFT gaming kind of did that for me. I love gaming. I loved NFTs and the whole concept of ownership. Um, I love people being able to earn money by playing games. And so I fell in love and I dived into that space. And then I built my guild predominantly around Axie at the time. But knowing what was going to come, like I saw this tulip mania, which is the only thing I can, like that's what NFTs were for me. It was like, this is a bubble that's going to pop hard. And I know it is. I still want to be involved in it, even though I know that's coming. But who's going to protect the people that get wrecked? And I'm not talking about financially because obviously you can't. I'm talking about like emotionally and mentally. Like how are we going to help people? So my guild was predominantly set up with four key areas around well-being. Mental health, physical health, emotional health, and then financial health. And so that's what we've tried to do. You know, we're working with entities around the world where we've got key support workers. Because I'm not an expert. Like I can't help people like mm -hmm, from a of course. psychology point of view. Um, but I've got people that are charities and people that I work with support key workers, people around the world that can help people. And not only the gamers and like some of the, I say some of the kids, there are some other gamers that are older as well, but 
in in the Philippines, a perfect example, parents were forcing their kids to play games because they were earning better money than their parents. Yep, yep. And so then it's like these kids are being forced to play games and they're not even getting the money because the parents are taking the money. And it was putting a lot of pressure on people. So the whole guild was set up to really, really try and help people in that space. Um, and I got into Axie. Axie was doing really well. Like we, we were doing really, really well at one point. And then I thought, again, I've got to diversify because I don't want to put all my eggs in one basket. Mm-hmm. But then we started looking at other games. I mean, I got into Sunflower Land uh, quite early. The Discord server had like less than a thousand people in it. Um, the token was like extremely cheap, but they were they were already like blocking up Polygon. And so I was playing a completely different game, couldn't play it, went on to Gas Tracker because, you know, rather than just like fudding and complaining, I like to like do a bit of due diligence. Mm-hmm. And I found this token and then I found their Discord and I found out it was a game and I thought I'd explore it. And and I went into this Discord and I saw that it didn't really have a decent Discord. It wasn't set up. It didn't have anything. And I thought, hmm, okay, you're going to need help, guys. Like, do you realize you're about to get wrecked? And they were like, what do you mean? And I was like, yeah, you need you really need to set this up and sort this out and and just give it to me and let and and Adam was like mm, I don't know I don't really want to give you this access. I was like trust me just you need to just give me this access and let me just do my thing. So I brought my team in, we built all the Discord, and then I've just kind of maintained it ever since. And so that's kind of led through the trust over time and this this progression of like how the game went from like ten cents to seven dollars, mm-hmm. like the token, mm-hmm. and then obviously crashing back down with the exploit and the hack. To the rebuilding and i've kind of been there every step of the way and i mean i invested like forty thousand dollars into that game but i never oh, okay. cashed out i yeah, mean I, yeah. I, I bought in between one and three dollars and then when it was at seven dollars and i was going to cash out and, and sort of six to seven dollars that's when the exploit happened it was all crazy i i stayed i kept my investment so that everyone else could have exit liquidity because I was like, look, this is going to rebuild. Like, we're going to make this work. Like, I, this no, team are incredible. And, and that was that was a super bold bet of you and really kind to keep it in there as well. And was that an actual staking exploit at the beginning? What was the exploit that caused the hack? Yeah, so, I mean, initially what happened, lessons were learned. I mean, it was three part-time devs that were exploring blockchain. Mm-hmm. And so they were... Like they, they were all developers and they had a love for, like, uh, for, for blockchain, but they wanted it decentralized. And, and the good and the bad, like, I love the, the, the intention behind it. This is why I love the team so much. Like, Adam and the team are incredible. I love their intention. Reality and hindsight, you know, you can't, you can't decentralize a project. It's just not possible because hackers, uh, you know, they'll, they'll, especially when you open source the code, people will find exploits, and then you can't, you can't deal against that. And so not only were there gas efficiencies in the contract, which were a problem, there were exploiters that were like mining unlimited pickaxes in the game mm-hmm. and then cashing it out for gold. And so everything had to be frozen. It all had to be taken down. And that centralized element had to be put in place to be able to allow people to, um, you know, to, it's to protect the community. And, and although some people might not like it because you're controlling their assets, if you don't have that control of people's assets, then you can't stop the bad actors. Yeah, but it's a really tough to trade-off. Be- it yeah, is a really, it, really tough trade. It, no, it's it, it's ridiculously tough. Yeah, because you, um, yeah. you know, it, it, the ethos of Web three around decentralization, and then this actually leads in really well into staking in general. Because mm. you know, 
in ordinary staking protocols, when you stake, it's almost as if you loan it to a bank. It's almost as if you took your cash and exactly you gave it to it them and it's it's them holding it for you, right? So there are some protocols. Yeah, exactly. It's not even yours. It's not your in your custody. So there are some protocols, right, who have it set up in a in a super decentralized way where they can't even access it. And then there are other protocols where they can access it. You know, in that context, what have you seen around the space? You know, and is there something that makes you more comfortable? Do you prefer, you know, other people to actually be able to access it, the core project owners? Well, it's really interesting because when you look at staking traditionally in, in DeFi, and you look at last year and the boom of the of the whole DeFi market, I mean, there were projects that were offering like 80 to 100,000% APR on staking uh, through their tokens. And then you had things like Axie that were offering on their governance tokens, like 70%. You had Anchor that was offering like 20%. So there was so much opportunity. And then when Luna and Anchor crashed and that 20% that was kind of underpinning the whole staking ethos in, not just in gaming, but in general in crypto was Mm -hmm. kind of destroyed. It kind of made everyone go, well, hold on a minute. And you look at, there are apps like Donkey Finance, you know, which is a a staking platform protocol. You've got uh, Formation FI, which is looking to take um, what Ray Dalio did in the stock market and and, and apply that into into crypto. And they were doing like 70%. So you look at all of these entities, you've got Planet Finance, Donkey, Formation FI, they're all zero, like nothing at the moment. They're all shut down and turned off. And they're like, well, hold on. And even like Donkey Finance today, published this is our first bear market strategy like they're now looking at dollar cost averaging into projects and like redefining their core package their core suite of packages everything on luna that obviously got rebuilt so i think it's good we needed this shakeout because i think it's unrealistic i think that there's a lot of ponzi's out there that are like oh hold on a minute we're going to offer you more tokens if you give us your tokens we'll give you more tokens as long as you keep your tokens with us so mm-hmm. like at what point do you ever get to cash out like that carrot that gets dangled it's not and sustainable that is it exactly doesn't... that's a fantastic comment across the board because a lot of what staking comes under fire for right is that it's just hyperinflationary is that there is no point to staking because frankly all it does is that if there is a staking program and i actually opt to not stake what that staking program's existence does is it devalues my currency. It takes my tokens down to zero because now there's a billion more tokens that have just been issued, right? So where do you kind of sit on that side, right? Like, do you see staking as, you know, almost just this purely inflationary exercise that has a little to no additional added value? Or where do you see it, you know, actually coming into a, a value additive mix? It's a really, really good question. I think it comes down to integrity. And I think the reason I say that is because it really depends on the platform's intentions. If people are trying to get you to stake so that they can just secure and lock up their token to make it more valuable so they can cash out, dump on you for the next project, which we've seen time and time again, then it's never going to work. However, if you were to stake a respectable and a sustainable I say sustainable because obviously we know it's not, but in terms of like as long as you're not offering ridiculous onzonomics. Um, like we saw with Wonderland with their like 80,000% mm-hmm. APR and things like that. If you're offering something respectable and you have burning mechanics in place, for example, yes, you can acquire more tokens. And we've seen it like Axia doing land staking right now. Yes, you can earn some more governance token. If there was a way to be able to burn that governance token in game for more utility within the game itself, I think that would work. I think staking would be good. I think the problem at the moment is what you've got so many product creators, internet marketers, game developers, and very, very little in terms of economy builders. 
And let's be honest, even governments struggle to build economies. Agreed. Like most of them are it's getting wrecked. A ridiculously complex situation. And it's it's you know, it's it's made even more complex by the fact that almost every fungible token on chain is, you know, completely liquid because you can put it into a DEX and you can swap it against any other pair. And so you have these terrible contagion crises, like the one that we're seeing right now from three ACs collapse spreading yeah. into other, you know, other debtors and uh you know these assets are so liquid that if one drops everyone else is simultaneously affected so you know a, a big staker like a massive staking program that gets hacked or goes down will have serious consequences about across the ecosystem um, this is something that's actually been said as well like if you borrow you know a hundred thousand dollars from a bank and you can't pay it you're screwed but if you mm -hmm. borrow a hundred million dollars from a bank and can't pay it the bank's screwed yeah that's right that's right if i if i owe you a hundred thousand dollars that's my problem but if i owe you one a billion dollars that's your problem it's my problem yeah, yeah exactly right and that's what we're seeing now and we're seeing this like it's, it's literally like a, a house of cards and it's all falling down yeah now that's not a bad thing because it needs to happen because it was hyper, hyper inflated it was completely pondonomic at the time and we needed a reality check like it can't just keep the bubble can't keep growing and so Agreed. what we can do now and this goes back ties into what you said at the beginning we can we can build and and now what you're going to see are the real builders that don't care about the the tokenomics in, in the sense that they don't care about the value of the token as much as they care about creating an, an amazing experience either inside their game or inside their product and the, and the the companies that are able to do that without the financial incentive because they want to be a child. Like, let's go back to the initial investment thesis. You don't invest because you want to make money. You invest in crypto at the early stage because you believe in the technology. Because mm -hmm. you think it can be great. It can be a greater good. We live in a society in a world where transparency is an issue through charities and businesses and governments, whatever. Um, having a, a, a DLT or a distributed ledger technology system in place gives us that much needed transparency to flush out a lot of these um, just rotten, like these rotten entities in the world. Yeah, And no, I think I, we I need to remember more. that that's what we're building right now. Too many people got sidetracked, very greedy and started thinking about like, oh, I just care about me. What can I make out of this? How can I profit out of this and screw everyone else? Yeah, and, yeah. We we had too yeah. many bad actors in the system, and I I do think that the flush is well deserved right now. Mm -hmm. And you know, it it kind of it 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 harkens to the topic around you know community building and what the community ends up trusting and who they should trust. And you know, in the context of staking, some argue that staking is a method to decentralize and grow your community. That it's not a financial incentive. That it's actually a distribution methodology. It's how you get tokens into people's hands, and it's like a necessity to actually distribute them that way. So I think that's a it's a controversial take, and I think that people have a lot of different opinions on it. How do you see that? You know, is staking can it be seen as maybe not a financial incentive, but a, a decentralization methodology? What do you think? I think it can. I think it's a really difficult uh, conversation to have, and I definitely don't feel qualified enough to be able to give my opinion on it. I mean, from my no perspective, worries. I th I feel like it's something that honestly, if it's done with the right intentions. If, if you're in it comes back to, there are, there are two things with the human psychology, right? If I can greed and sloth, okay? If I can teach you how to make a lot of money with very little effort, you're interested. Now, we haven't hit mass adoption yet, but when we do, mass adoption is prim primarily going to be obtained by focusing on those two aspects of human psychology. How can I interest you to get something with very little effort? You know, removing the friction, removing the barriers to entry, how can, I, how can you get something, but it's not going to take you a lot to get there? So I do think we need it for that mass adoption, and I think that's important. 
But I think it's not getting carried away. I think we have a, a flaw as humans that we do become greedy and we do want more. And you've only got to look at the projects that took incredible VC funding on board mm-hmm. uh, with nothing more than a PowerPoint presentation. Agreed. And, and now these VCs that have, have, have given all this money out are panicking because now they're looking at these huge entities in the space that are collapsing and they're starting to think to themselves, oh shit, we're screwed. Now, the problem you're going to have with this is that obviously VCs aren't going to want to give out their funding in the future. But also the other problem is that when they do give out funding in the future to decent projects, they're going to be so demanding in what they want in return to recover their losses that it's almost going to be a problem where what a lot of people that invest in a token don't look at is, well, what's the cliff? What's the vesting schedule? Yep, agreed. Like, what are the tokenomics and how is that going to affect the price over time? Yeah. And these, you're going to these... have these very aggressive VCs that are going to be putting pressure. Like, you know, you look at any company, the board is always putting pressure on growth. Yep, you're gonna have the, the the bull bear dynamics have shifted entirely back to uh, you know back to the back to the VC's hands at this point because you know even uh, even six months ago we were hearing of projects who had raised at 100 million valuations on quite literally hopes and dreams right like it was like maybe a, a good PowerPoint perhaps um, well maybe a bad one I mean 70 maybe, million yeah. dollars Pixelmon <laughs> I mean anything's possible oh man right? the Pixelmon <laughs> event was was crazy. Um, yeah, no, and it, you know, it, it, it happened in the, the, the GameFi world as well, you know, in gaming as a whole. And I think that, you know, as gaming matures, part of what we will have to ask ourselves is, you know, does staking have a future in gaming? Like, does staking even belong in gaming? Because I think there's an argument to be made that instead of staking, like, emissions should probably be given out for gameplay, right? Like, items like that. Because what staking serves to do, if it's user acquisition and growth, is, you know, perhaps that's better served just by giving folks who play the game some tokens, which was the original play-to-earn mantra, but who knows if that works, right? Well, we do it right now. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that we want to do in Sunflower Land, as an example, is it's, again, it's about that mass adoption. So our target audience um, primarily are non-crypto-native Perfect. Not tech savvy, casual gamers. So you're probably looking at people 20 to 40 years old, predominantly probably more female than male in that in- uh, instance. When you look at games like Candy Crush yeah. um, and the games like on the, in the Web2 environment that were very successful, that's kind of our, our target audience in that sense. Now, when we look at mass adoption and we look at onboarding into a, a very simplified game like Sunflower Land, we want to be able to educate people into crypto. So our new version of the game will be, well, hold on, we'll start you in Web 2, you'll be able to play in the game, and then one of the quests is we'll get you to enable your MetaMask wallet, we'll get you to connect to the Polygon network, we'll get you to deposit tokens so that you can mint your NFT. Mm -hmm. And that will become part of the gameplay to get people on board. To continue that to go a step further to answer your question, we have a thing in the game called the Wishing Well. Now, the idea of the Wishing Well is it's an introduction into LP pools. So when we want people to provide liquidity, because it's a community-based game, we had no pre-mine, there was no token allocation, no VC funding. So we're like the, the half a million dollars that we have in our treasury was completely self-funded through uh, minting and in-game sync fees. Very cool. Yep. And so to be able to build that up, what we've done is said, well, hold on, we'll take some of those sync fees, we'll take some of that minting cost, and we'll give it back to the community. So even though we're offering an incentive effectively through staking, that is rewarded back to the community as kind of a, an in-game feature. Yeah, and it's not it's not a, a permanently inflationary practice. Like it seems like you have a very set amount, and it's coming from actual cash itself, right? Like it's coming from some revenue that came into the protocol and is now being yes. re-emitted back out through the wishing well. 
Yeah, absolutely. And so, With a gate in it as well. And this is the biggest uh, thing that I would say to any project. We have a gate. There's no guarantee you're going to get this staking reward. It's a wish. Mm -hmm. You put your coins in the wishing well, and then you come back and you check in the well to see. Wow, that's you... fascinating. Really? That's so but neat. Whole, yeah, because if we ever need to turn it off or do anything with it in the future or, or, or limit it, or yeah. even the other way, if we're in a position where we're doing really well and we can extend it, we've now got that mechanic. I, I, think I think that's, that's incredible. Where games need to, and not just games, any platform. Don't just be like, oh, stake this and you'll get this. Because mm -hmm. then if you turn it off in the future, it's always easier to add than take away. And I think what a lot of people are doing now is they're starting to take away, and that just compounds this toxicity and this FUD and all of this negative emotion that we're seeing in this space. Yeah, agreed. It, 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 so much of this comes down to clear communication and really letting the users know like, okay, so the rewards will last, you know, for this period of time, you may or may not get the rewards after that. So just be clear right across the board. No, I yeah, love it. I think that's been the, the, the transparency for us. I have been so open and to the point that I've said, like when we were relaunching our token, we must have been the only project that launched that said, by the way, guys, we're not going back to $7. Like if you're expecting this token to go back to $7, you're really in for a rude awakening. Like we expect this token to sit at 10 cents. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like We're going to try and launch this token at 5 cents. And everyone's like, when's it going to move? When are you going to go on centralized exchanges? And we're like, we're not. We're not looking at centralized exchanges because we don't want to bring in that traders and that hype and that FOMO. We're not looking to get it up to a dollar because it's unsustainable. It's a utility token. So we've absolutely like hammered our community to the point that they now self-police. So awesome. when someone new comes in and says, like, why is this token dumping? It's like, it's in a range and that's where it's meant to be. And so we're educating people continuously through transparency. And it's, it's hard, you know, and, and yeah, we get the FUD and people disappear and we don't have the numbers that we would have otherwise. But we've still got a community of quarter I mean, of a million people. Look, you, you, you guys have more active users than the sandbox, right? And the sandbox is worth this billions is of dollars. So I, I'd say that you're doing something right, right? This is it. I mean, it comes to a, it comes to a point of... Um, of critical mass, right? It mm -hmm. comes to a point where you have to do something over and over at a loss before all of a sudden you'll hit the tipping point and then it will start to pay dividends. And so we've done this now for a point where we've got this incredible community who understand and they're well-educated and they're knowledgeable. And they actually respect that even though it's not always what they want, it's kind of what they need. Yeah, yeah. And, and in having that, I think that's been, and, and now we are just getting absolutely bombarded with everyone who just wants to take that from us. Oh, let us do this project. Let us do this collaboration. Let us use your community. And it's like, and that's now where my job is to protect the community, to turn around to these entities and say, no, like, I mean, that, I like we've built this. That is you guys, like that is the project, right? Yeah. As the community becomes yeah. the project. So the community pushes the code, the community like owns the ecosystem and the socializing, it is, it is Absolutely. the whole, whole thing. But that comes back down to the founders and the owners of the project having that integrity. Yes. And having like any money that's made through this project is a byproduct of doing what we're doing, like adding value, creating that service. A true Web3 so, ethos, yeah. Yes. And that's what we're trying to adapt and we're trying to work with. and. It's not easy and it's hard no, and we're making it, mistakes and we're learning. It's very tough. But Steve, I, I frankly, I'm stoked to see someone actually trying to do it and you guys are doing a great job. So, I mean, kind of in that context, you know, what advice as maybe, you know, a closing set of thoughts here, you know, what advice would you give to someone trying to build a truly decentralized project in Web3, starting from the grassroots? Let's say that there's no VC funding. There's nothing there. They want to build a true community forward project. What advice would you give to those builders? 
the size of your tribe, your, your the quantity of your member base is nowhere near as important as the quality. I would say that it is very easy these days to look at others, and it doesn't matter whether it's a project or social media, whatever it is, but you can look at others, see the good stuff that they're publishing because that's what they want you to see, and get misled into losing focus on what's important. If you're building something, build it. Build it for the right reasons. Money is a byproduct. It should never be the focus. Yes, businesses need money to survive. I get that. But at the end of the day, if you're building something to add real world value, then build it and trust that in doing that, the community will come. I love that. That, that aligns. That's what we did. And it, and it works. Like we're an example of it working. Like, and if we can do it, anyone can do it. I mean, look at how we started. We DDoSed Matic for a week. Yeah. Crash the network. <laughs> now, in hindsight, that was an incredible marketing play, but it was never done intentionally like that. It was just a, a happy coincidence. And, and that definitely gave us that springboard that we otherwise wouldn't have had. But it all comes down to there are so many things that we could have done along the way that could have ruined that, that beautiful thing that we now have. But because we stay true to our values and our mission and our, value, uh, our values of what we want to achieve, i.e. we want to build a decentralized community and we truly want to build a good game that people can enjoy, we've never wavered from that. I love and that. I think that when people keep that, that focus through a bull, a bear, regardless, they just stay on track. Consistency is key. I really love that. Yeah, we had uh, we had the head of Spartan Labs on here last week, Sean Hang, and you know his his advice for folks was really similar to yours, which is stay focused on the product. You know, it hardly even matters what wrapper you put around it, so long as you have a core product and you stick to that, to your vision. You know, and really, really communicating with your stakeholders and the players and the users that form that base. That is the key. Yes, 100% transparency. Everyone, the, the biggest problem in this space right now is, is not the people who are out there to screw people over because they're obvious, you can see them. It's the wolf in sheep's in sheep clothing. Yep. It's the people who are pretending to be all, all, all good and, and all good and, and nice and then behind the scenes, they've got ulterior motives and intentions and they're the hardest ones to spot. Totally agree. Yeah, and... You know, uh, Steve, as we come to a close here uh, at the end of the episode, I want to give you a chance to, you know, say anything else that you, you may have meant to say during the, during the session here. If there's anything that you want your community to know or our communities to know, anything at all. I mean, yeah, sure. I've built my reputation and I've built my, my network um, around looking at projects that I believe in, looking at people that I believe in that are sometimes suffering. It's so easy to jump on a bandwagon from a tribe mentality perspective and just FUD because it's the thing to do. But the reason that I am now where I am within Sunflower Land is because I saw it going through hell and I stood by it. And so if you can find those decent gems of projects and people, like it's so easy to support them when they're doing well. But I challenge you to find those projects and support them when they're not doing well. Because then when the next bull run comes around, you will be so well connected. You will know so many people. You will be involved in so many things that you will be successful just by virtue of what you've done when things weren't. I love so, that. How to survive yeah. the bear market 101. You know, double down on true faith and real people. I dig it. Absolutely. 100%.
Well, Steve, look, thanks a ton to you, as well as your Twitch community, I know, who's also watching for joining us today. I really do appreciate it. Um, guys, uh, thanks for hanging out today. This has been Web3 Wednesdays. Tune in next week for more on special crypto topics. Thanks.